Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Who's Got Next podcast. Riley Shepard joining you to bring you another installment of what's happening in sports and music into one show. I'm joined today by my good friend Bryce Wyatt. Bryce, why don't you tell tell the people a little bit about yourself? All right. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm uh, Bryce Wyatt. I'm a senior, I guess, at uh, the University of Central Florida, uh, which kind of sounds crazy. I'm old as old right now. You're old. Really old. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, so a senior, I'm uh, majoring in marketing and minoring in sports business management. And uh, yeah, no, just my only passion on this world is sports. So and that, that's that's something that that me and Bryce really really bond over. So I'm really glad, really glad he could join us today. Really glad that we can we have this opportunity to talk talk to the people about what brought our friendship together. But let's get started. We have a lot to talk about today. So obviously, this past Sunday, the last two episodes of The Last Dance aired. So sad to have no idea what what I'm gonna keep myself entertained with now that now that that's over. Might have to rewatch it a couple couple more times, but, at least three times. <laughs> but <laughs> but Bryce, my first question to you is: what was what was your biggest takeaway from this series as far as your how you now feel about Michael Jordan? and everything yeah for sure um so honestly like you can relate to this i neither of us really ever got the opportunity to watch michael jordan live in person like that was more like my dad when he was my age was able to watch jordan and he always had all these stories and thought he was the goat all this stuff and i was kind of in all honesty i was kind of riding the lebron train like listen, we've watched him kind of grow up through the NBA and, and all those finals and, you know, all, all that type of stuff. And it's like, I always thought that because of this era of the NBA and it's a lot more athletic, like all, all that type of stuff, I was kind of always thinking LeBron was the GOAT and Michael Jordan just had better teams around him, all this stuff. And, uh, and now, like, after watching that, it's a complete 180. Like, like if, if you don't think Michael Jordan is the best basketball player of all time, then you're blind and deaf. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, I don't even see the argument. Like, just his passion and his, his just desire to win at all costs. I don't think anybody, including LeBron, in the NBA has that currently. And I think that aside from the play itself and there's arguments one of my friends told me the other day oh i think scotty pippen was the best player on those teams absolute game. No, no. <laughs> like not uh, yes i think scotty pippen in nba history is one of the most underrated players he's the best best sidekick of all time exactly and honestly even on his own that season that jordan went exactly. to yeah. the white Sox. He was really good and kept the Bulls competitive. Right. Um, but I, I like there's no argument. Like he was saying that, oh, no one ever guarded. Like if you look at tape, like 
Jordan always had it easy. No one was guarding him. The reason why it looks like that is because he was the hardest person to guard. Right. Not just hard, almost impossible to guard. So it was like he was just so much better than everyone on the court. Even Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, the two best players at the time when he came into the league, both said that he was the best player in they the knew. NBA. They knew. They knew, themselves. Yeah. Like, by far the best player in the NBA. And it's just crazy that, you know, I, I honestly think more and more after watching that, I think I was meant to be born in the 80s and 90s. Like, I wish that I could have been alive. And during that era in just sports in general, like everyone, like even looking at specifically now the NBA from the Last Dance perspective is like everyone was just so much more competitive and there was actually animosity and beef and like you don't see that in today's NBA. You see, yeah, it's stupid, kind of like, it's kind of petty, petty beef instead of super petty. Yeah, and and that was the big thing that I like personally really enjoyed watching. Not not saying that I love watching the beef. The beef does add to it, but now it's all Twitter beef and it's stupid stuff that like can be blown over. Like Michael Jordan to this day hates Isaiah Thomas, and I think that is like just says a lot about him as a competitor and and obviously those bad boy pistons teams were uh just you know they they wouldn't they wouldn't survive a game in the nba today they bill lambeer would be thrown out within five minutes of the date or what's what's his name adam silver would abolish the team immediately (laughs) like that but but now like in so this is another perspective I've been having. Is the NBA just soft? Like, are they just soft? And from looking, if you're in that era from looking at it now, yes, you can say that. But just kind of look at how people are raised now. Like, it just takes a lot of energy to hate and, like, dislikes people so much. And I just feel like nowadays people don't have as much beef as maybe they did back then. And... uh And, you know, that's just kind of part of the culture today. And I don't think – I also think it's super unfair to compare eras like this because of how different the eras are. Like, Jordan in today's NBA, I I do think he would be one of the best in the league, if not the best. I've I've heard so many people say that he would average 40-45 in the NBA today. And that's why it's so unfair to compare – LeBron and Jordan, in my opinion, because the games are totally different. You don't think LeBron would dominate in the 80s and 90s just because of his sheer athleticism. But you don't think Jordan would learn to develop a three-point shot in today's game? He definitely would. And if the thing about Jordan, and the big thing about Jordan from looking at this is, if he wanted to do something, guess what? He did it. Like, if he wanted to have a three-point shot, he would do it. If he wanted to have a half court shot that he regularly (laughs) made, I can promise you that he would do that. And here's the, like, like I said, like for me in terms of just looking at Jordan from a perspective compared to LeBron or compared to any athlete out there, not only was he one of the best basketball players of all time, he was one of the best athletes of all time. And I five all time. And I think that I totally, totally think, that if he was given more time in the minor leagues, like without the lockout in the MLB, and uh, I think that was 1997, 
uh, he would have made it to the major leagues. Yeah, that's what that's what his manager was saying is that if he would have played, I think he said fifteen hundred at bats. Yes, he would have made it to the major leagues because he was obviously he started off on a what thirteen fourteen game hitting streak. Yep. Then pitchers started learning, getting used to him, and, and then, he, then he, he struggled of- a lot. Then he worked and worked and was becoming a good player in the minor leagues. You, you know, the, the craziest thing to me about that whole thing is, like, what athletes now can do that and be right. successful doing it? Like, obviously, Jordan wasn't the most successful player in the major. He wasn't Bo Jackson or no. Deion Sanders when it comes to no. two-sport athletes. But, but that's their sport. And now I'm right. even realizing, too, is that, like, there's specific shapes for these sports. You, like... You can't be in NBA and MLB shape at the same time. They're exactly. completely Yeah, that's that's a they were talking about that in I think it was episode eight when he was recording Space Jam. They had to rebuild his body because basketball is more shoulders, chest. Yep. When... And can I can I talk about the Space Jam thing right now? Because right. Oh, of course, of honestly, course. Honestly, <laughs> that is one of the craziest things out of this whole documentary. That, exactly. It, like, do you think LeBron James is doing that right now? recording space jam 2 and i think the answer is absolutely not like i it's insane that like how how could he's superhuman how can one person be recording a like a a major movie all day in between like working out getting ready for the nba oh plus at night he brought the biggest (laughs) nba stars out to play scrimmage games i think the the craziest thing about that is that People forget that at that point, I think Jordan was 34, 35, playing against all these young stars, Sean Bradley, Jawan Howard, all these guys that were young. And he's still dominating them in these pickup games and learning their tendencies and strengths, weaknesses. It's the smartest thing he could have done because, like you said, it's all those – younger players that were coming into the league, Reggie Miller, like right. all these players that he eventually played against and had issues with, he got a chance to see, yeah, you said their tendencies, like stuff like that. And that just doesn't happen today. And that's why I think that like Jordan is just so much far above the competition because of his sheer determination and will to win at all costs and that like, that's the thing that in my opinion sets him apart from LeBron and all these other people that are brought up in the goat conversation because believe it or not at the beginning of his career he was basically Devin Booker let's let's be honest here at the beginning of his career he was Devin Booker he was a score first player he didn't get his teammates involved at all yeah and then when Scottie Pippen came along he learned how to evolve his game to to get his teammates more involved and take the weight off of his shoulder and here's the thing about and if you look at we're going back to like eras in the nba like back then i i think coaching was substantially more important Mm -hmm. And, and that was one thing like like from what they were saying i think honestly if jordan didn't have phil jackson he wouldn't win as many championships because Phil Jackson was the main proponent of him passing the ball, not just shooting it. Like 
that triangle offense that was new to the NBA at the time. And like, I, I think that without Phil Jackson, yes, he would have won some championships, but it would have been more of a one man show. And right. now like because of Phil Jackson and because he pushed him so much to pass the ball off. And if you look at some of the assists he had like crazy, right. crazy passes, like, like he, like, yeah, without, without that. And, and like I said, like, like honestly in that, in today's NBA, in my opinion, coaches are almost irrelevant. Like what do they do? It's a player's league. It's some, yeah. They do some in game coaching, maybe like, you know, last second shots or like some practice coaching, maybe set up a scheme, but you can't tell me that LeBron on the Lakers is calling the shots in that <laughs> team. Like if, right. if, what well, uh what what's the head coach name uh if uh shoot the lakers i can't remember i can't think of it but anyways let's say it was 5 seconds left on the clock and he called a play to you know whatever if lebron didn't want to run that play that play was not going to be run i can promise you that and th- and that's just like one thing about today's nba is the star power of the biggest stars is like too big to have those coaches and the egos. And it's just like, it wouldn't work in today's NBA. So that right. that's another aspect of it that I think is completely. If you, if you have a star on your team outside of, oh, n- no knock on Steve Kerr whatsoever as head coach. I think he's going to go down as one of the best head coaches of all time, mm-hmm. just for how he's even, even if he's had stars, Steph, Frank, or Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, he had to learn how to get the best out of those players together. But like you said, back then with the Supersonics, for example, not not saying they didn't have stars as far as Gary Payton and Sean Kemp goes, but they made a point that George Carl at the time was a great head coach. And oh, yeah. he's still one of the best head coaches of all time. But at the time, that's why they got – that's why they made it to the finals and pushed the pushed the Bulls to six games. Obviously, sure. he should have – obviously, George Carl should have put Gary Thompson – or Gary Payton on Jordan a little bit earlier in the series. But, yeah. but, but no, like you said, the, the game today is just so different and – LeBron, that's why people joke that LeBron is basically the GM of whatever team he's on. Yeah. Because he calls the shots. General manager, head coach, biggest right. star. Like he LeBron is man of many different roles on whatever team he's on. <laughs> and that's that's like in my opinion, one of the biggest differences between the eras and the NBA. Because personally, like from as a from like a sports fan perspective, like I love coaching. Like I think that coaching can make or break a team. And that's the one thing about the NBA that I'm not is that coaching is borderline irrelevant. Unless let's say you're on a team like the Pelicans or even like OKC with Billy Donovan and like younger players. I think that is when it's more important to have a head coach who can develop and put in a system in place to make these players successful down the road 
but on teams with big stars, even in Brooklyn with KD, even though he's not playing, but like Brooklyn and KD, uh, LeBron in LA, Kawhi in LA, uh, like uh, even, but like Zion in, in New Orleans, I don't think Zion has nearly as much pull as obviously LeBron in LA. Just, I think as a younger team, it's more important to have a better head coach to get it all together. For the, the Celtics, for example, I mean, Brad Stevens, a couple He's of years a great back. Coach. A, exactly. A couple of years back when they pushed the, the Cavs to seven games, Brad Stevens was still head coach. And that's when Jason's, Jason Tatum was starting to blossom. I don't think Jason Tatum becomes as good as he is now and as improved as he is now without Brad Stevens as a head coach. Totally agree. And and that is one exactly. That's exactly the point. Like I think that like I was saying, if you have a younger core team in today's NBA, it's more important to have that head coach to develop the players. Right. But once they get to a certain level, walk away. There's no need for yeah. you. Like, you know, and that's that's why you see the tur- the turnover rate in NBA coaches is so much faster than any other sport because like things change so much and big stars go to certain teams and you know, if they don't like them, he's gone, you know? And, and the thing, yeah. yeah, the thing is uh, a coach like for the Pelicans, Alvin Gentry is replaceable. A Zion for Williamson sure. is not. Exactly. And that, and yeah, exactly. And if you, if you look at, uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I think, Go, going back to Steve Kerr, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think his segment of The Last Dance was one of the most interesting. I didn't know, honestly, really anything about Steve Kerr a whole lot until The Last Dance. Mm. And I kind of forgot that he was on those teams. I, uh, you know, he played I, a big part in those teams, too, that people just don't realize. He did. And, and the fact that <laughs> Michael Jordan hit him in the face during a practice, <laughs> like, that stuff is hilarious, and and I think that Steve Kerr is going to go down. It, it's crazy to think that he's been a part of two dynasties: one as a player and one right. as, one as a head coach. And I think that is extremely impressive. And go and I yeah, going back to the coaching part, I think a lot of that had to do with him playing in the NBA for a while, and he wasn't a star by any means, but I think that helped a lot with him becoming that great of a head coach because if you think about all the great head coaches Steve Kerr, Doc Rivers Phil Jackson, they were all they all played in the NBA but they weren't yeah. stars, they were role, role and players. starters and yeah role play starters and, and Steve Kerr even admitted that he was a role player yeah. on that team <laughs> but without those role players you wouldn't have that many championships right. and, and I think that uh Obviously, with the addition of Dennis Rodman, and you already had Scottie Pippen, and and all that, and Coop Coach came in, <laughs> and like all you know, all these players, and it's just it came together to be like like I said when we first started, like I I we never had a chance to watch this era of the NBA, and I think it's one of the best of all time, better than today's NBA, and I think the thing with today's NBA is. They're they're now this year. I think this season was sucks, but I think this season was turning out to be the one of the best in recent history, just because of how much parity there was around the league. But we've just had so much 
one team. And, and I guess you could even say that about the 90s and 80s with Jordan and the Bulls. But if you, if you looked, it was always a different team going against them, the Pistons. Right. It was the Pacers. It was the Orlando Magic. It was the, you know, the um, – uh, who else were they? They're kind of beefing with the the Celtics, the Lakers, right? Like, and in the beginning, like, so it's just kind of, yeah, it's kind of crazy, and and it was kind of kind of sucks for like teams like Patrick Ewing and the Knicks never got a chance to win a championship. Carmelo and John Stockton too, right? Charles Barkley and the Suns, right? Charles Barkley, I didn't realize how dominating of a player he was absolutely incredible but still never won an nba championship he was he was Jokic before Jokic was Jokic. exactly <laughs> and, and i think people forget about that because he never won a championship and that sucks but he can thank jordan for that like you know and that and same with patrick ewing came out and said a couple weeks ago someone asked him on a podcast like are you uh you watching the last dance he's like no i lived it like i don't have to have it rubbed in my face that jordan beat me every time we went to the finals or the eastern conference finals so it's kind of like it's kind of funny and there's still beef today from the 80s and 90s nba and it, it just the whole era altogether was just absolutely insane i i loved it i loved every second of it i'm borderline depressed that it's over <laughs> Uh, like, don't know what to do with my life. Well, going going forward from that, obviously there have been some rumors about other players doing these kind of mini documentary series. Examples being like Kobe, even LeBron has started rumors that he want, he one day wants to do one of these series. My opinion on it is this was, what, 20 years after Jordan retired? Wait, uh, for for Kobe especially, we need to hold off on that because totally agree. The, the reason Jordan did the series is because he, of kids that didn't have the chance to watch him play. And it should be the same thing for especially Kobe because the obvious unfortunate passing of mm-hmm. him. But 15, 20 years down the road, those kids are have never seen him play and never know, knew what that whole Mamba mentality, man. So what, what is your, how do you feel about these starting to become more prevalent? And so, so that was that I've been thinking about that recently. And I, and I listened to something too, uh, talking about like, in, in all honesty, Jordan did come out with this documentary, I, I do agree with you, to show kids like us who never had a chance to watch that era in the NBA see how crazy it was. But I, I think you, you'd have to agree with me here that there there has to be some type of he's trying to submit his legacy as the greatest ever. I, I don't and, know if you heard, sorry to interrupt, but he started recording or he agreed. He agreed to do the documentary. The day that the Cavs were celebrating, having their championship day parade after they came back three-one from or against the Warriors in the finals, yeah, and, and that and that's exactly that. You know, that kind of proves my point a little bit. Right. I think that I think that especially now with Jordan and 
even Giannis coming up, maybe claiming to be one of the best ever, like just stuff like that. All these players who are big stars in today's NBA, I think part a lot, a lot of Jordan wanted to cement and and change our opinions about who the greatest ever was. And and don't don't think that if Jordan didn't want certain things in that documentary, he was not going to have it in that documentary. Right. So there were probably some certain things that we didn't even really get to fully see because he edited it how he wanted to edit it to make him look like the greatest ever. And I think that I, th- I, I almost know for a fact that LeBron's going to do the same thing just to submit their legacy. I don't think it needs to be anytime soon. I think you need to wait 20 years after you retire, LeBron. I think that if he were to do that too prematurely, I think that would be an absolute mistake. And as far as the Kobe thing goes, Kobe's can be more of a, like a, I guess, uh, what's the way to put this? More of a, like a kind of a shoot. I'm trying to think of the word. Like a an ode to Kobe, right? Because of the unfortunate things that have happened in recent days. But the, I totally agree with you too. Is that needs to wait? That needs to wait because Kobe. That's just too soon. Too, uh, you know, it's he hasn't had enough time to have his legacy like. Like make, I guess you could say, and I, and I think that uh, one, yeah, I totally agree. I, I don't think that needs to happen anytime soon. That's why, like, if you like thirty for thirties, all that stuff, like, like they they don't make ones about stuff that happened five years ago. No, it's not at all. It, it's all like old footage, like old stuff that we weren't alive for. And honestly, there won't be the only thing, the only recent one that I can think of is uh the michael vick documentary that just recently came out that was around when i was i guess maybe i don't know 10 5 something like that the and there was one that was aired a couple months ago that was Dwayne wade's last season but it was something that he was recording throughout the seat the his final year yeah but like you said they don't do anything more than or more recent than 10 15 years ago and yeah, and I and I definitely think that it's it's all an ego based business. As much as that sounds bad, it's all ego based. And I think that they need to wait. And even from Jordan's perspective, it's a lot of it is ego based. And I think that having him, obviously, he had the final cut and anything he wanted to air in the last dance. And I'm like I said, I'm sure they left some stuff out because Jordan didn't want it in and that's fine but he waited a proper amount of time and I think it was awesome to see the the one thing I'd have to say about the last dance is just it did jump around a lot yeah that was kind of it was kind of hard to follow And, and I think it was more not just a Jordan documentary it was a documentary about the entire era of the NBA and I think that uh it, it obviously the last dance referring to that final 98 season. Uh, but uh, like but all, obviously, all the connections to it, I think 
obviously that was the that was the that. end yeah the end point was his sixth championship but he also wanted the whole point was to show people what led to that point mm-hmm. and, and i think that like if you look at it think about this think about this he had two completely separate NBA Hall of Fame careers. Two back-to-back, like th- two three-peats? That's right. one, one three-peat is unheard of. Like right. two? That just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And and yeah. you could say that the competition was not as good, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of arguments for that. It's not, not I true. I completely disagree with that. I think a like, lot of it is, has to do with Jordan dominated that era. So guys like Karl Malone, John Stockton, Carl Malone, second all-time in scoring. John Stockton, leader all-time in assists. Mm-hmm. And, and they never got to win those championships, so their legacies may be disman- or not dismantled, but not as appreciated as much for because sure. Jordan dominated that that era so much. And that's that's another thing. Like same with Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing. It's like they. I think then now, if you have an NBA star. They're ninety nine percent going to win an NBA championship, some right. way or another. One, one at least, at yeah. least one, one at some point. I mean, yeah, I just, I mean, Kawhi championship, LeBron championship, uh, KD championship, Steph championship, uh, Dirk Nowitzki like, uh, championship. Yes, right. exactly. And I guess maybe like the what? Who would you say right now would be the biggest star without a championship? Giannis, but he's just kind he's of getting. Yeah, I would say young. Chris Paul. Chris, Chris Paul legacy is it? He's an all-time point guard, but he doesn't have that championship. Anthony too. Davis. Anthony Davis, but that's all. He's on his that, way. That's that's why he put himself in that situation because he knows that if he doesn't get one, then people aren't going to appreciate him as much yeah. as they should. And I think, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I think that Giannis and AD will eventually get a championship, but there's players in Jordan's era NBA that never got a championship. And yes, their whole legacy is tainted because they didn't get a championship. And I think that dominance and, like greatness is all based upon championships. And I, I, I would like to agree with that because it's, it's not just your skill. Obviously you can not have a championship and have a lot of skill. There's a lot of players like that, but it's about who you put yourself around your determination, your will to win. It's just like, no one had that other than Jordan. And it's just crazy to see, crazy to see. And I was so glad that that came out because like I said, both of us never had the chance to see any of that. And it was and cool. I'm, I, I'm glad that the NBA is now starting to go towards that kind of duo league again. You oh, know, yeah. because that's what it was in the 80s and 90s. It was duos. You know, obviously Jordan and Pippen, Carmelo and John Stockton, Patrick Ewing, and, oh, and I uh, can't remember the point card's name. But, anyways, now yeah, no, that's, I, I see what you're saying, and that and now that's, that's a, what the league is now. Yeah, LeBron and AD, uh, KD and Kyrie, uh, you know, Giannis and who? 
Brooke Lopez. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I mean Chris Middleton. Don't, don't sleep on Chris Middleton. Come yeah, on, Chris now. Middleton. Yeah, but Giannis is more in a league of his own. I would right. have to say. Uh, I I think this is the most competitive the league has been in a while. And and it, I totally agree. And I I it's such a shame that this season has turned out the way it has. But I think it was like me personally. I like I've said kind of before. Like. I've never been a huge NBA fan. I've been more of a college basketball fan. Love basketball, but could never get into the NBA just because of the lack of parity, I guess you could say. And now I just kind of really started watching almost every NBA game on TV. And, like, it was turning out, in my opinion, to be one of the best NBA seasons in recent history just because of the parity. Like, even though, yes, the Lakers and the Bucks both kind of had s- substantial leads on the rest of the division, you never know who was going to win. Right. Because if you look at the regular seasons, the Clippers beat the Lakers every time they've played. Right. And I think I think playoff Kawhi is a playoff totally Kawhi. different beast, and playoff LeBron. And so you never day to day in this NBA, you never knew what was going to happen. There were just I, so many, so many different surprises. Nobody thought the Thunder were going to be competitive. No, and I and I think with the Thunder, like I was saying, with the lack of coaching, I think the Thunder is an ex an exception. With Billy Donovan, in my opinion, one of the best college basketball coaches of all time, and now is kind of cementing himself as a great NBA coach. I think he has a lot to do with that. Because, yes, like we said, no one thought they were going to be anywhere. Like, come on. They just got rid of uh, Westbrook. Westbrook, their biggest star. Like, who's their biggest star right now? Chris Paul. and But Shai Gilgis Alexander is a young star that Chris Paul kind of took under his wing. And right now the NBA is young stars and obviously experienced vets with – championship ex- championships yeah i think that- we're definitely looking at a change in the guards in the nba within the next five seasons yeah no and that's that's what's gonna make obviously like you said it's so unfortunate that the nba and what's going on right now in the world because this nba season was panning out to be one of the most entertaining in recent memory for sure but Transitioning from that into what's going on in the world today with the COVID-19 outbreak. But some updates on that. As far as the MLB goes, the MLB just proposed a solution to the players union. To give it a little summary of it, it was 67 pages. End up the proposal was an 82 game season three phases the spring training starting in middle june with social distancing strongly enforced locker room six feet apart from one another just as some other things that i found interesting were no exchanging lineup cards no showering at club facilities players coaches and umpires tested several times a week and if a player is experiencing any symptoms or a fever over 100 degrees they're directed to immediately isolate themselves. As far as money goes, the solution was a 50-50 revenue split between 
team personnel and players. Now, in my opinion, I feel like these solutions make it as safe as possible for players and team personnel. For sure. However, some players didn't believe to think so or feel the same way. Blake Snell, pitcher for Tampa Bay Rays, won the Cy Young back in 2018. Was very vocal with how he felt to quote some of it. He said... Bro, I'm not taking a pay cut. I got to get mine. I'm risking my life. Bryce Harper, who has developed himself as arguably the face of the MLB, agreed okay. with Snell, saying that he ain't wrong, he's right, and he's glad somebody said it. Now, how do you feel about these comments? In the words of uh, Stephen A. Smith, shut the hell up. Like, I honestly am, like, I am the biggest Tampa Bay Rays fan. It it is very, very hard for me to disagree with anything that a Tampa Bay Rays player has to say. Mm -hmm. And I I don't necessarily disagree with the content because, from the player's perspective, yes, if I was playing or even in a job like normal, if I'm getting a pay cut from what I was already promised to get from a contract, sure, I'm going to prefer, the, obviously, to get that money, for sure. It, and it's not even what he said. It's it's how he said it and the way he went about it. No players are on the same page. If they want to have an MLB season, they need to get on the same page. And it, it's like, I, I just, I, I really just think that there are people like obviously we're in a pandemic like you can't you you can't stop from what's happening you have to sacrifice a little bit exactly you're gonna have to sacrifice some and it's only one season and like the mlb is like like i said like you can get injured on the first play of the first game of the season and be done for your career but if you just signed a five-year $200 million deal or whatever, you're getting every penny of that money. Even if you retire, it's guaranteed money. So Blake Snell, you're going to get your money one way or another. It just might not be this year. And the MLB literally cannot afford to pay their players. Like they can't. The MLB as is, is already losing popularity daily. And now I think, not having the start of the season is hurting them even more. And I, and I saw the other day, they're going to lose about $4 billion, even without fans while playing the season. And it's like, they can't afford that. I, and that's one thing that the players don't understand is that you have to make some sacrifices. There's people who have jobs in the real in the real world who are taking pay cuts, 25% pay cuts, 50% pay cuts. And they're not making millions and millions of dollars. Yes, Let Bryce Harper not. just signed that 13-year, and this is this is an actual number that he's making, $330 million. Yes, and that is one thing about the NBA MLB too, is that like if you're good in the MLB, you're going to make more money than you are in any sport. Any in, sport, by far. Yes, and I, and I think that, 
and, and then also on the Blake Snell perspective of things, don't act like you're also not making oh, probably close to a million dollars from your Twitch stream all the time. Like, <laughs> it, like seriously. And I, I just think, you know, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I, I think the players are being a little selfish. And I think in, in terms of, yes, they want their money. I completely understand that. Like I said, it's I never want, easy taking pay cuts. Yeah. I would want my money too, if I was in their situation, but you have to look at it from the perspective of like they can't, the MLB as an organization cannot afford to play games and not have fans in it. 40% of their revenue comes from ticket sales. That's a lot. That's a lot more than the NFL who can afford to not have fans or even the NBA who can afford to not have fans, but the MLB cannot do that. The state of the MLB, your game is not nearly as popular as other games right now. So it's, it's really hard for them to be able to pay the players in full. And listen, it's only one season too. Don't act like this is happening for the rest of your career. It's only one season. Like you have to make some sacrifices because of what's going on in the world right now. And I, and I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, players and the general public and the owners are not going to agree on. The, the, the thing is, if these were minor league players making these statements, I would completely understand. But these are major league players who are making more money than 99% of the general public. For sure. And, and that's, and here's, here's another perspective from it too. And so I, I personally, I don't know if you can agree with this, but I'm more of a team fan. I, I'm never mm-hmm. a fan of a specific player. No, for sure. Like, like if Blake Snell was traded to the Astros tomorrow, I would not be heartbroken. Like sure. He's a good <laughs> pitcher. It would be kind of a dumb move, but I'm not going to stop being a Rays fan. Right. So from the perspective of the public, the public is always going to take the side of the organization. Never going to take the side of the player. So so we're not so we're obviously looking at it from a different angle than we than the players are. So it's really hard for us to say, "Oh, they're saying wrong things." Like it, we're not in their situation. But I do think that in this situation, why did they start playing baseball? Because they love baseball. Yeah. Because they love the game and they want to play it. Like if I were them, I'd like, even if you, you hear NBA players, Oh my God, I need to get out of this house. Like I'm cooped up. I want to play again, blah, blah, blah. They're so passionate, even with a pay cut about getting back and playing. Right. But these, these MLB players are borderline refusing to play unless they get their full entire contract of money. And I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. And at this point, in my opinion, this is more, this is about being more than an athlete because we haven't had sports for what at this point, two, two, three months. And you guys are having the opportunity to provide the public with some form of entertainment and you're refusing that. Yeah. Like they're like, exactly. And, and it's good for, my mental health to have some type of sports right. on at all times. And and I, I just think that, yeah, I just, I just think it's being a little bit selfish and, and this just proves the point that people have made in the past that it's all about money. 
Like the whole world is all about money. And I think that, that, so Blake Snell, you're saying that you're going to go risk your life, risk your life to play baseball right. in, in, in a very safe <laughs> atmosphere, getting tested almost every single day, at least once a day, testing your life or risking your life. You're going to risk it for $9 million. But, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to risk it if I'm only getting paid $1 million. Like, come on, dude. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, the, like, argument, the like... argument is just like, it, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. Like, you're saying. You're not, you're not a paramedic or any of these people that are being exposed to it on a daily basis. They're... And you're refusing to play. Because I don't know if you saw, if you saw South Korea, the way they were going about playing in their major league or major baseball league. Yeah. KBO. They're the, the one of the funny things was the first pitch was a kid rolling down in a big inflatable baseball, but hilarious, (laughs) but, but yeah, the umpires, umpires are wearing masks. They're uh, using hand sanitizer. Seems like every two minutes, but they're doing everything they can to make sure that this league goes about as normal as possible in a time like this. Yes. They're being as safe as possible, as cautious as possible. And if you look at the MLB's plan, they are planning to put together essentially a, like a lab, a specific lab for major league baseball. So these tests can get run within 24 hours. So they're tested every single day. They're, I think it called for 10 million tests or something like that. Something crazy. crazy. Like that. And, right. and it's just like, like, don't act like you're going out there on the front lines of this disease and risking your life to play a game that you love. Like that just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like you're really, you you're you're downplaying or I guess upplaying your situation. Blake Snell is the same person who, I don't know, a month or two ago on Twitch, that seems to be the only way we hear from Blake Snell. But gets, uh, <laughs> he says like, oh, I'm not worried about the Rona, like blah, 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 all this stuff. And now all of a sudden when money is involved, he has a very – blatant opinion about the whole situation and i just think it's super contradictory and absolutely ridiculous i think i think at this point he just wants to probably just wants to focus on his twitch career honestly honestly you know what (laughs) if he's more worried about playing Fortnite every night than going out and play baseball then Good for him. I good, <laughs> good riddance. Like he, he sucked in the playoffs last year, anyways. So <laughs> he needs to he needs to get back to his to his Cy Young season. Yeah, for real. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm just about sick of Blake Snow. I'll tell you that. So. Yeah. No. Okay. And just to dabble in some other updates with the COVID nineteen and other major sports leagues. NBA players also received their they received their first pay cut this past Friday. It's twenty five percent pay cut to every player besides six of the top ten highest played players in the league: <clears throat> LeBron, 
Curry, Blake Griffin, John Wall, and Kevin Durant. Wow. They're going to be, they're basically going to have an IOU starting next season with cuts in their salary ranging from $390,000 to $420,000, which I believe Steph Curry was the $420,000. But it's very important with how they handle this situation going forward because the more games that end up being canceled, more money that essentially they're going to be stripped from their salary from. For sure, yeah. So if the entire season ends up being canceled, I saw that players are going to lose over a billion dollars in in salary. There have been rumors with where the NBA should resume the season if it does resume. How do you how do you think that they should go about this? So yeah, that that's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot also recently is that and hearing a lot about it seems as though the league is super optimistic about getting back and started. And I think mm-hmm. Adam, Adam Silver and the major players, LeBron, Steph, they're committed to having the rest of the season play out. Not just because, like we said before, this was turning out to be one of the greatest NBA seasons in recent history, but because, number one, they want to get out of their houses and play. Right. And then also, like, they like they want to see out the season. And yes, I think money does have something to do with it. Like you said, they're going to lose what close to a billion dollars in re- like in salary and salary, yeah. which is crazy. I totally agree with that. But I think it, I mean, from looking at from the outside in the NBA players are more willing to have those salary cuts than these MLB players. And I think that I, I've heard rumors about maybe having a, like a, Vegas or even Orlando bubble city, which would be fun for us. Would be awesome. Yeah, I would scout <laughs> out the, the wide world of sports every day, and uh, no fans obviously makes total sense. And and resuming the NBA season, and I think they partly have an obligation to for for the fans, like for Americans to have some type of sport on. And I think the NBA is trying to lead that charge. And I think the MLB is slightly behind them. And And a lot of players have been, well, not players, but Shaq and Charles Barkley made comments that there would be an asterisk next to whoever is crowned championship. If the season were to resume. And how do you, how how do you feel about that? So, I personally think there's going to be an asterisk on everything in the world right now. Everything. Just Mm -hmm. because of how the world is. Like, this is not normal times. No one is living a normal life right now. And if you are, you're a billionaire who has a private island or something. Like, like, no one is living a normal life. So, yes, I think there would be somewhat of an asterisk on it. But. From looking at it from a legacy perspective, if the Lakers, not, I'm just using the Lakers as an example, but if the Lakers were to win the NBA championship, would you say LeBron has three NBA titles or four NBA titles? Everyone's still going to say he has four. Exactly. No one's going to say, oh, he has three, but don't forget that one season, 1920, when the the coronavirus. Exactly. Nobody's going to say that. Exactly. And it's... It, and it's essentially a, an NBA lockout. If you look at exactly the '99 season when the when the Spurs won, they had an NBA lockout. They had only 82 games or 
not 82. Like I think that, it was, it was 60, much... the one that was recent was 66. Okay, yeah, probably around 60-something games, and it's going to be the same situation. Every team only had, what, like seven games left on the schedule? So it really, it's really not depleting the season at all. And like we've said a few times, this was going to be a great NBA season. And I don't think, I, like I said, I think that the whole world is going to have an asterisk on it and it's going to be a weird playoffs. And, and another aspect of it is the fans. And even the biggest stars, LeBron has come out and said, like, it's not going to be the same quality of play as if there were fans during the playoffs. Like that's just kind of a fact, like mm-hmm. players feed off that energy and without that, it will be a little different, but you can't say that whoever wins, people are just going to say, Oh, well, yeah. Or even Kawhi, like, Oh yeah. The Clippers won the season, but you know, not really. No, they're not going to say yeah. that, but, you know, they're, they're going to claim them as, or they will be the champions. And that's just how it is. Now, I think that some of the season needs to be played out before you can go straight into the playoffs for multiple reasons. I think that players just can't go straight into the playoffs. You have to work up to the playoffs. And I think that there were a few teams on the bubble who were, close to making the playoffs, the Pelicans, the, I'm trying to think who else. So, well, OKC was on the fence about getting in or not, or staying in or not at Brooklyn. Like a lot of those teams kind of in the East were not super submitted into the playoffs. And right. I think it, I think it'd be interesting to maybe see if the NBA were to just say like, you know, the top, what, uh, like, 15 teams from both division, the East and the Western Conference, can come back and play a regular season in order to... Right. Anyone that legitimately had a chance of making it into the playoffs. Yeah, you don't need to have the Suns come and play. Yeah. You don't need or the, to uh, or the have Timberwolves. the Kings or the Timberwolves <laughs> come and play. Like, I, I don't even think people want to watch that in the first place. But, <laughs> like... If you have some of these on the bubble teams, the top, how many make it into the playoffs? Uh, eight, eight, top eight, eight, eight from each side. So let's say you have the top twelve from each side. I think that would allow those teams who are nine, ten, eleven, twelve to compete in order to potentially make a playoff spot. And I think that would ramp up the season going into the playoffs because I think it'd be a horrific mistake to go straight into the playoffs right? Uh, alongside from no fans and having that quality kind of depleted a little bit. If you go straight to the playoffs, the quality of play is going to be borderline uh, beginning of regular season. Like it's just not going to be very good. And, and for one, anyways, one example is the Jack. Okay. So right now, right now in the West, the Jazz and the Thunder are 4-5, so they would be playing each other in the first round. Mm-hmm. However, the Rockets are tied with the Thunder, so they could obviously do a tiebreaker, whoever won the season series. But in my opinion, I would much rather see the Rockets play the Jazz than the Thunder. Obviously, uh, Bogdanovich just had season-ending surgery for the Jazz, so he's not going to be playing. But I think 
a Rockets Jazz series would be way more entertaining than a Thunder Jazz series. Oh, for sure. And out in the West, or out in the East, excuse me, right now 4-5 is Heat and Pacers. But the 76ers are tied with the Pacers. I would still rather see a Heat 76ers series. I think that would be far more entertaining, and I'm sure a lot of fans would agree. Yeah. No knock on the Pacers, but there are just a lot of different factors for, like you said, why they need to, at least even if it's just five, ten games, not the finals 16, 17, what it was before, before they actually start the playoffs. But there are numerous reasons why they need to continue the regular season if they if they agree on a solution instead of just jumping right into the playoffs. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah, that's definitely another thing to think about. There's a lot of kind of, I guess you could say, poor matchups that could take place if we weren't to have some type of maybe 10-game regular season or whatever. Just some way to get the players back into the groove, get the fans back into it, just ramp up to the playoffs. Even if it were to be delayed, and the season were to, was not to resume for another month or two, but if it but it still went back to as normal as possible, I'd be willing. I I would be willing to wait oh, yeah. if it just means that we get NBA basketball back for sure. I so here's kind of a hot a little bit of a, a weird take on the whole thing. I heard uh, Brian uh, Winhorst, uh, I think, from uh, ESPN. He uh, he came out and he kind of had his own proposal to have uh, to wait until when the regular season would start back up. I guess that would be what in like October, late October. Yeah. Wait until then play out the 2020 playoffs and then go straight into the 2021 regular season. And. That that would be logistically a little bit strange, I mm. think, but it would give the world and the players more time to at least figure out what is going on and how they would go about the whole season. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that's the best option. I've heard things. I heard Mark Cuban talking about uh, potentially having like a Vegas bubble city and having every every team stay in the same hotel, you can't leave, quarantined, like all that type of stuff, and uh, playing some regular season and then going into the season. And he was saying, and a lot of people also agreed that the NBA could afford to start their regular season later. Like Christmas Day would be when they would potentially think about starting the regular season based on this end of this season. And a lot of people think that the NBA should start on Christmas Day regardless because there's still college football, NFL, all that stuff going on in October. It would increase the revenue, TV, viewers, all that stuff for the NBA as a whole. So it wouldn't be a bad business move at all regardless. So uh, Mark Cuban was saying that they would need to start at least the remainder of some regular season at the latest by July 1st in order to still be able to start the 2021 season on Christmas day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I'm, I'm ready for a July 1st start date. I, I just, I need sports to be back. I, I, I think, I think this is definitely 
obviously this is very this whole thing is very unfortunate, but it could give the chance for sports to readjust their schedules because like you said, if the NBA were to start on Christmas Day, the regular season were to start, which people I would love, but that means the NBA season would go into late summer, which no knock on the MLB, but that's really all that's going on at that time. And exactly. And that would give us more inter- entertainment during yeah. the summertime for as far as sports goes. And yeah, and I think so. So one thing, uh, one more thing about what Mark Cuban was saying, I guess the reason they've always kind of had talks of having the NBA regular season start on Christmas Day, but kind of back in the day, probably 80s, 90s, when he was getting into the league as an owner, they didn't like that very much because viewership of television as a whole over the summer was substantially smaller. But I Mm -hmm. think now... In today's times, that's completely different. And if, if NBA basketball was on midsummer, that's all I would be would doing. Be watching. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And I, right. I, the right. argument is more people are going out and doing more things in the summer, which is true. But you still have DVR. You have for the, you for have the younger audience, whatever. anyways, which is what the NBA is now. I mean, it's younger kids our age in college, high school late or young young adults yeah and i don't like during the school year we don't i mean we're obviously way more busy than we normally are during the summer so if there was nba basketball outside of the playoffs because the playoffs are obviously during the summer Mm -hmm. but if the regular season and the b that's that's all i would be doing i would get nothing else done (laughs) i totally agree i i would i would not be able to focus on anything my my complete focus would be on the nba and that that's i would love it because honestly in the summer there's nothing to do anyways right so i you know i i I think they could benefit from having a christmas day start and and i think yeah this this whole thing now is going to change a lot of stuff going forward not just sports but everything there's a lot of companies that are going to switch from in person to mainly online forever and that's right. you know this is going to change some things and i don't think it would hurt to uh, affect the sports world a little bit it's really at the end of the day just turning turning a negative into a positive for sure well bryce thank you so much for joining the podcast loved having you on yeah definitely got a lot of got a lot of hot takes got a lot of hot takes out there and i'm really glad we got to do this please please be on the show again soon of course we'd love to have you on again of course i'd love it i had a great time thanks for well there was so much music released from this past week but let me start off with futures high off life album had features from NBA Youngboy, Travis Scott, Young Thug, Lil Uzi, and Lil Durk. It immediately went gold because of the prior success of Life is Good with Drake. My opinion, it was exactly what I wanted out of this album. I don't expect Future to get me in my feelings or release really anything chill or sad, obviously. Excluding accepting my flaws, which was actually, he really actually opened up with that song. But I give it an eight and a half, nine out of ten, to be honest. I When I hear a future album, 
I expect there to be five to six songs that get added to the playlist and I can get hyped to. And that's exactly what it did. My top five were Hard to Choose One, Harlem Shake, which is song with Young Thug, All Bad featuring Lil Uzi, Riding Strikers, and Too Comfortable. Those songs were all absolutely fire. Too Comfortable, the beat in that was so smooth, and his flow was unbelievable. But other songs that were really fire too, and there were there were 21 songs in the album, if I'm not mistaken. But these other five, Touch the Sky, Solitaire featuring Travis, Posted with Demons, Accepting My Flaws, and Trapped in the Sun, were all also really good. And a lot of people like to knock on Future and say that he can be too too repetitive. All of his songs sound the same, but he really, really switched it up in this album. He, You had so many different flows and so many different beats. And he really, really showed how versatile he can be in an album. Definitely, definitely fire album. If you haven't listened to it in full yet, highly, highly recommend doing so. And yeah, let me know what you guys think of it. I thought I thought it was one of the best album releases of the year in in its entirety. For a long album like that, like I said, 21, 22 songs. Definitely, definitely fire. But the other album that got released from this past week that not enough people are showing love to is Polo G. He released his second studio album just titled The Goat. And this has just cemented himself as one of the best lyricists in the rap game right now. Proved that by rapping uh, or having one of the songs on a Tupac instrumental song, his song in the album Wishing for a Hero. And like I said, proving himself to be one of the best lyricists. If you listen to rap music for the lyrics and bar after bar after bar. Polo G is your guy. He he can tell a story in on any beat. He can give you bars on any song, doesn't matter what it is. If you listen to what he's saying, he like I said he's the best one of the best in the game right now and he's so young him along with Lil TJ and YB and Corday I think those three are going to take the rap game over in the next couple years Polo G is starting to do that right now by he he definitely releases the most music out of those three so I think he's on a little bit higher of a tier than then those two but having features from the late juice world and Lil baby on a song is huge for his career because for those people that may not know who he is or are a fan of him having Lil baby on a song 
is having all of those little baby fans who who the little baby is obviously one of the hottest in the game right now but having him on a song is just giving all of his fans an opportunity to listen to polo g so i think sooner rather than later polo g is going to be one of the hottest rappers in the game right now as far as comparing it to his first album die a legend which was released last year i think they're on the same level this album was a little bit shorter but there were as many as many hot tracks and bangers on this album and same with the the uh future album i give this one an eight and a half nine it was exactly what i wanted i've been a huge fan of polo g for a long time since he since he released or before before he released die a legend and i was really excited for this album and it didn't disappoint whatsoever now as far as my my release of the week i'm gonna be honest with you guys it was way too hard to pick just one so i'm gonna give you the top five songs that have been on repeat for me since friday there were two out of the goat polo juice album which was flex featuring the late juice world and martin and gina if you haven't listened to those songs highly recommend doing so both absolutely fire martin and gina is a little bit more more feelings but but definitely definitely fire and flex featuring juice world both of them absolutely killed the beat gave gave you bar after bar but those are my top two still the whole album it was still so hard to pick just just two out of that album but those are my top two out of there my next one is riot by Lil Skies, released another single, another fire song by him. He's really, he has, he's had two other songs released recently within the last month, last couple months, excuse me, that have been bangers, which was Fidget and his other single, Having My Way with Lil Durk, and which, Having My Way, I still think is the most underrated song so far in 2020. Still listen to it all the time. But after having these three songs released, these three singles recently, is there an album, Little Skies album coming soon? I hope so, <laughs> um, because these these three songs, like I said, have been fire, and that's t- typically been when Little Skies has released albums was at the start of summer. Shelby and Life of a Dark Rose were both released around summertime so hopefully because if it if if the album follows the trends of these songs then that album has the potential to be the album of the year all three songs have been gassed so let's hope this is this is potentially him releasing an album we'll see in the next couple weeks if he releases any snippets or the track list but my number four song that's been on repeat is No Suburban Part 2 by Chef G out of his album One and Only. If you haven't heard of Ch- Chef G, he just released a song with Lil TJ in Lil TJ's State of Emergency called Wet Em Up Part 2, which I, I, I didn't know how I felt about that album that Lil TJ released. It was seven songs. 
but this song was definitely my favorite or yeah that song with Shefty in it was definitely my favorite out of that album he has a similar style to pop smoke if you haven't heard of him and outside of those two songs that i just mentioned no suburban part two and wet him up part two highly recommend listening to we getting money and moody by him all very fire definitely a different style than a lot of mainstream rappers out right now but if you like listening to different kind of styles of rap different beats uses a lot of very versatile beats very versatile flow definitely recommend listening to those songs by him and my number five song that's been on repeat i had to put one from high off life and i decided on too comfortable by future the beat is just so smooth and future's flow is absolutely filthy on that beat it might not be, end up being the most popular song out of that album because there were a lot of good songs, but it's definitely been my favorite so far. You can listen to it anytime. I definitely think, obviously, having Travis on a song, that song's going to blow up. And Be a Young Boy, that song was fire too. But this song is just so smooth and has got to be my favorite. I've had it on repeat since the album released on Friday. But that's all the time I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you again, Bryce, for being on the episode today. I'm Riley Shepard from the Who's Got Next podcast, and I will see you again Monday.